0: After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads! I am clear of my responsibility! From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid.
1: Keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in the city.
0: So Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, It would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio
2: showed no concern whatever. I love that story. Welcome to our journey through this wonderful book, sometimes called the Fifth Gospel. It's the second book of Luke. He wrote a biography of Jesus and continues the story through the history of the church. As it began, the followers of Jesus took up the baton from Jesus and continued his ministry. And there is no chapter 29 because we are in the Acts 29 generation who believes that we're to continue what Jesus began. And so we can learn lessons from the continuation of the church. Of course, this is just a focused picture of a part of the church as it grew. The gospel is spreading all over the Roman Empire through other people as well. But in this case, we are looking at Paul who was an enemy of the church that God apprehended and saved and brought to faith in Jesus as his Savior. He became a Jesus follower and began began to preach the gospel. And his home base at this part of the story is Antioch, and they have just sent him out on his second missionary journey. This time he goes with a man named Silas, and they go to his hometown in Tarshish, in a part of the world known now as Turkey, And then they visit churches that he had planted in his previous trip with Barnabas, who's a very encouraging disciple, and uh, part of the reason Paul got started in ministry. And then from there, the Lord leads them to go from Asia into Europe, and they take the gospel and begin to establish churches in part of the world now known as Greece. Today, he's in Corinth. He has left Athens, which is kind of known as the city of philosophy named after the Greek goddess of philosophy, Athena, gone into Corinth, which is a very corrupt city. If you want to disrespect someone's daughter, just tell them, hey, that girl's a Corinthian. And those were fighting words. So he is here, and we'll just read what we saw dramatized for us by the International Bible Society. He departed from Athens, went to Corinth, which is about a 50-mile journey, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, that's another part of the world, who had recently come from Italy, another part of the world, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the Roman emperor, had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. He he ran them out of town. Of course, over time they began to come back, but he ran them out of town because of some dispute uh, that made him upset. There's a historian that said the dispute was over someone named Christus. And it sounds a lot like Christus, doesn't it? Uh, Dispute over Jesus. Maybe, but maybe not. We don't know. We don't want to say something that's not true. But needless to say, it got everybody kicked out of town. All right, everybody out of the pool. That was Claudius' approach. So Paul finds these people, I believe they were believers. Aquila and Priscilla, and stays with them. And because he was of the same trade, verse 3, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. Now, Paul is a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a Jewish lawyer. He's a Roman citizen, but he also has a trade. It's good for preachers to have other ways to make money it keeps them from becoming corrupt right who would agree that's true if it's your only livelihood and you need to take a break to get your life in order you may not do it that's the reason for some of the problems we have so if you feel called to preach and you have a trade stop beating yourself up begin to respond to the call you got your life in order paul had the tent making trade they work with leather they work with fabrics they work with goat hair and wool and And it wasn't recreational tents. This isn't like, oh, great, he worked at a camping supply. No, these were people's homes. This was the roof over their head. This was shelter from the sun, the rain, and the cold. This was was awesome. Heard a story of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson camping. And one night, uh, laying in their sleeping bags, Sherlock says, Dr. Watson, look at the sky. Look at the Big Dipper. Look at the Little Dipper. Isn't it awesome to see all these stars at night? We don't see those in the big city, do we? No. He said, when you see these stars, what does it say to you? And Watson says, I don't know. What does it say to you? And Sherlock Holmes said, it's very elementary, my dear Watson. Someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) Back to the text. So he's making a living He's working with this couple, no doubt encouraging them in the scriptures. They leave and go to Ephesus, part of taking the gospel to Ephesus. They wind up going back to Rome. Paul greets him in his letter to the Romans uh, later. But at this point of history, they're there. They become part of Paul's team. Verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. That's what he would do. He would go worship in the synagogue, worshiped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and began to have Bible discussions, began to talk about the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And in his reasoning, he was persuasive, and he was persuading both Jews and Greeks, that is, those Greeks that would go to synagogue because they, they loved the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Silas and Timothy, who he had left in another city, verse 5, when they had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit And testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Now, he was already doing that, but for some reason, when these guys arrived, their spirit compelled them to do it more. So he became more persuasive, he became more uh, strong in his preaching. Verse 6 But when they opposed him and blasphemed, opposing Paul's preaching and blaspheming Jesus, He shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, what kind of statement is that? Well, in the Old Testament, there's a verse that alludes to the concept that if you don't warn the wicked, their blood will be on your hands. You're going to be held accountable, in other words, for not warning wicked people. And so here, he wasn't just issuing warnings. He's proclaiming the gospel, and they rejected. So he says, okay, my hands are clean of your blood. It's on you now. It's all on you. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Well, he didn't go very far. Verse 7, he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. A couple of the translations allude to it being like right next, almost like a lean-to on the synagogue. So he didn't go far, but uh, Justice was a, a Gentile, I guess. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. So they're having an effect. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. He said, quote, do not be afraid but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city, Unquote. So he's been compelled by the Spirit. Now he's hearing a voice telling him, be bold, son, go for it. Isn't it nice to be encouraged by the Lord sometimes when you need it? He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And when he left, there was a strong church in that town. Not a problem-free church. He had to address their problems in a couple letters. Back to the story. Now opposition arises. Verse 12, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, that's the part of Greece, southern Greece, the Jews with one accord, that is the unbelievers, rose up against Paul. And brought him to the judgment seat. They tried to bring charges against him, and this is what they said: This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, there is some truth to that. He's telling Gentile believers, "You guys don't have to get circumcised. You know, follow Jesus. Here's what he had to say: You don't have to keep all these." laws, especially the man-made ones. And so they're ticked at him. Verse 14, and when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galio, the Roman council, said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, You know, if it's just semantics and your religion, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. You guys are cluttering up my docket. Get out of my courtroom. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue. I guess he's the one that took Crispus' place. There's no doubt Crispus was booted out. They took him he was probably the chief spokesman in this trial, the wannabe trial, and beat him right there in the courtroom before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So here's a crime being committed and he's ignoring it. (laughs) Reckon he was grouchy. To me, this illustrates that our enemies sooner or later will reap what they sow. I mean, Paul, everywhere he went, the unbelieving Jews would stir up dissension, try to bring charges against him, try to have him thrown in jail or whatever, and here, one of them gets what's coming to him. It can happen like that. Now, Proverbs says, don't gloat when your enemy suffers, lest God take his hand off of him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the word we've heard will be applied to our hearts in such a way that we think differently, and that we walk differently, and that we are reminded of things, lest we let them slip. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, the progress, can we say progress? The progress of gospel spreading. I don't mean the progressive gospel, I mean the true gospel, the spreading of the gospel, it's progress. You know, if the opposite of pro is con, what is the opposite of progress? Sorry, better leave it alone. I get in trouble. The spreading of the gospel in 1900, more than half the world was considered to be unevangelized. By 2000, that number had fallen to 30 percent. In hundred years, half the world being evangelized shrunk in terms of percentages, not in terms of population, but percentage. 30 percent of the people. By 2017, LifeWay Research predicted that 28.4% of the world's population would be known as being yet unreached with the gospel. Now, that's billions of people. But keep in mind, there is progress being made percentage-wise. The gospel is spreading. Can I get a thank you, Jesus? Islam in 2010 was considered to be growing, general Islam, at 1.9% per year, which was faster than Christianity in general. But the positive news is that evangelical Christianity, that is, people that take the Great Commission seriously, not those voters that the press likes to label as evangelicals, but those that take what Jesus said about the Great Commission seriously, we are growing at 2.6% annually across the world, which is faster than Islam. So the gospel is spreading, even though the human race is expanding and our job is getting bigger, there's more of us to handle the job. So we are making progress. Can you say progress? Opportunities for the gospel are everywhere. Now, now by the gospel, I mean the good news of Jesus that is demonstrated by our lives and communicated by our words by our lives that back it up, by walking in the integrity that God is developing in us and apologizing when we need to, but not apologizing for believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but showing God's love in practical ways, demonstrating if God loves the world and he tells us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies and to love people as he has loved us, then we are to love, are we not? So this is good news for the world. God loves you and so do we so opportunities to do this start at home with your own spouse with your own children with believers and unbelievers with heathens and muslims and foreigners and americans illegals and legals need to hear the good news of the love of god and they need to taste his love through us can i get a yes Yes. it's true so opportunities are everywhere Jesus noticed this when he came to earth. If it was true then, it's even more true now. In Matthew 9.35, it says he went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Not sympathy, compassion. Sympathy is being sorry for someone's misfortune. Compassion is moving beyond being sorry to doing something about it. Strong desire to alleviate pain and remove the cause because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. It's the blind leading the blind out there. It is. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, plenty of lost people everywhere. You don't have to pray, Lord, lead me to a lost soul, they're everywhere but the workers are few. There's the thing to pray about. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill me with compassion for people. Lord, I'm on on compassion overload. I've heard so much bad news. I'm, I'm in compassion fatigue. Help me recover so that I can be a light to the nations. Odysseys of the gospel are unstoppable. What is an odyssey of the gospel? It's the journey of the gospel or the spreading of the gospel. It's happening everywhere. It's not going to stop. God doesn't have a plan B. Oh, no, we're going to have to go to martial law because uh, there's too many problems. No, the problems are opportunities to show his love. He said, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom, that is the good news of the rule and reign of Jesus, From the empty tomb to his future return, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, some unfortunately believe that this has already been fulfilled, but I'm sorry, there are millions of people who haven't heard the name of Jesus, and he died for them. So it has yet to be fulfilled, and I don't think satellite beams into people who don't have televisions and don't speak English is a fulfillment of this deal. On Judgment Day, Jesus isn't going to say, why didn't you respond to the preaching? Why didn't you learn English? Why should someone have to learn another language to get saved? We've got to be part of missions agencies that are sending people out to learn languages and preach the gospel. I understand in 20 years, language translation will have begun on the last unwritten languages in the world. Bible translation will begin. In the world today are hundreds of missionaries that go to foreign soil, learn languages that do not have an alphabet, that people cannot read and write. So they they learn their language, they develop an alphabet, they begin to teach the people to read and write, and then they teach people English in the process, And then they begin work of translating the Gospel of John and from there, other books of the Bible. All along the way, they're making disciples and training those people to uh, begin to translate the Scriptures in their language. So we're well on the way of seeing the Bible in every language. So it is unstoppable. Unless God intervenes, it will continue no matter what our enemies try to do. No matter what North Korea does, they're going down because the gospel is going to reach there and China is doing it. The church is growing in North Korea. Why? The odysseys of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel are not stoppable. Those that oppose it will be dealt with in God's time. In this book, Herod, remember the story of Herod in this book? Got eaten up with worms and he was a problem. God took him out of the way. And in this story, the ruler of the synagogue that took Crispus' place got dealt with by his own people, the Greeks. God stirred up and the angry mob wanted to whoop up and whoop up on somebody. He got what was coming to him. So those that oppose us does not mean they'll reap what they sow and be punished instantly. God is merciful and gives people a chance to repent. And God brought Paul to to an end of his wicked ways by striking him blind, physically blind. So keep on being faithful. Rest assured, the gospel is unstoppable. I worked here for close to seven years in the 80s. It's the Crescent Court Hotel on the uptown side of downtown Dallas, owned by the Rosewood Corporation. I started working there when it opened, so it wasn't long until I was the head doorman, not that that's some big grand Pooh Bah thing wear a goofy badge for right there in the middle is the main door where i work to your left is where the spa is and the banquet rooms and to the right is where the restaurant is and other things and above all that is a hotel and so that was the grand entrance to it and so i was in charge not only of making sure people's luggage was taken in for them but as well as parking their cars so we had a crew of valet parkers and there was 30 some of us the whole mix of people that I worked with. There was Jordanians who called themselves Palestinians who were Muslims. I learned all about Islam right from them. Mormon dental students who went to school at Baylor. Uh, So I learned about dentistry, and uh, that's where the valets would go get their dental work done. It would take forever, but it was pretty good work. But I learned all about Mormonism from them and then, you know, your basic heathens, and then a bunch of united. And the other group of people I worked with was a bunch of united Pentecostals. You know, the ones that are going to heaven, nobody else is. And so we're there serving the public and, and serving one another, and I'm trying to walk in love every day. And sometimes a vet has to pray for me before I go to work. We pray together, Lord, help Alan to walk in love. Trying to be a light. Well, the manager of this hotel was something else. And now it, it it takes a great man to open a big hotel. I mean, you got all these systems working. This guy was s- so arrogant, he didn't swing his arms when he walked. And he ruled with an iron fist. And for some reason he didn't care for me. And uh yeah. And when he would pull up to the hotel, he'd like to be treated like a guest. So we would run and open his door. But this particular day, his red Jaguar pulled up and so did a guest pull up. So me and my guy, it was two of us there at that point on duty. Uh, I guess the other guys were on break or something. We opened the customer's doors and let them out. And he was furious. So at the next staff meeting, He brought that up. You guys did not open my door, rah, 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 rah. Well, being the doorman on duty that day, uh, I was in the hot seat. What could I say? There's nothing I could say. He was a setup. I said, well, sir, I thought the customers came first. That's what we are trying to do here. Off my driveway, out of my hotel, you are finished here. Well, his powers were limited. The Dorman Valley parkers were part of Jack Bowles Parking Service. So we were a third party. And the checks were written to them, and then they paid us tipped wages kind of deal, and that's how the company we worked for got paid. So he couldn't get me fired, but he got me demoted. I went from head doorman past just general doorman all the way down to scrub buck private valet parker, running up and down stairs. Lost hours, lost income. It was painful, but I had a family dependent on me and I wasn't going to get mad and stomp off not knowing what I was going to do. Plus, you build a resume with a job, right? Don't just get mad and stomp off your job. Be faithful. Plus, the Lord didn't tell me to leave. So I just humbled myself and took it. A few months later, he was fired. Someone in his extended family was very ill. He was from the Netherlands. So he left to go check on them out of the country. Now, his family still lives in the hotel. His wife, their Irish red setter, and their two daughters were still living in the hotel, so he thought he could pull this off one weekend and nobody knew he was gone. Well, the Rosewood Corporation happened to be based at the Crescent Court. They found out he was out of the country. When he came back, he was fired. Gone. So I didn't gloat, you know, don't rejoice when your enemy suffers, but it wasn't long until I was head doorman again. (laughs) Years later... My wife goes to South Africa for her mother's funeral. After the funeral, her and her sister go to a resort in the middle of nowhere in Bofutetswana. Nice resort. Nice. Nothing shabby. Guess who's the manager of the resort in Bofutetswana? This guy. He remembered Yvette. He remembered me. She reminded him of me. (laughs) Then my sister... My wife's sister asked to inspect the kitchen for flies. He exploded. There's no flies in my kitchen. How dare you? I'm so insulted. You will not inspect my kitchen. It's like, boy, he still hadn't changed a bit. Anyway, Why did I share that? Well, the point is, God's got his number. He's, he's bringing everyone to a place of repentance. Hopefully before it's too late, he will. But one day, every knee's going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ, Yeshua Hamashiach, Yeshua Hamashiach is Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's true. So opportunity for the gospel are innumerable, innumerable. Odysseys of the gospel are unstoppable. Oppositions to the gospel are inevitable. We're going to be opposed. Whether it's just or unjust, you're going to get opposed. Just make sure it's unjust and not just. Don't get yourself fired for something stupid. At that same hotel was a security guard that insisted on wearing a big cross around his neck. And he got fired. So he thought he was being persecuted. He wasn't. He was... He wasn't getting persecuted. He was being rebuked and suffered for being stupid. There's nothing in the Bible that says wear a little cross around your neck, wear jewelry anyway. No. Take up your cross and follow me isn't a piece of anything. It's the reality of God's will. As it crosses our will, we must surrender to his will and follow him. Now, whether or not it was unconstitutional, that's a whole other thing. But as far as the Rosewood Corporation was concerned, they had their own constitution. This was against company policy. If you don't like it, go get a lawyer. You know, he didn't do it. So the point is, we are going to suffer because the gospel is opposed. And so walk in peace with all men as much as depends upon you. But if you suffer, make sure it's for something good and not something evil. Peter said that in his letter. Jesus also said this in John 16, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In other words, here's what I'm about to say so you don't get shocked. In the world, you will have tribulation. Can somebody say trouble? But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So the one who promised to never leave us us, has already overcome the world. So no matter what you and I go through, it doesn't take him by surprise and he's gonna see us through to victory and fruit is gonna come out of it. This tribulation can be real painful. Paul can tell you about it. In fact, he did. The church in Corinth, he wrote them in his second letter. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. It was contrary to the law of Moses to beat someone more than 40 times. So to make sure they didn't, they did it less one. (laughs) 39 times, five times. Three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned, and that's not thats not the smoky stuff. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, that's the Jewish people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, that's in the church, in toil and hardship, that's making tents and working hard and suffering in jail through many a sleepless night. It's hard to sleep with stocks on your ankles in hunger and thirst. Often, and he goes on with some more stuff, fulfilling the promise of Jesus. So, being busted down from head doorman to buck private valet Parker, that's nothing. Wouldn't you say? That's peanuts. That's small potatoes. Stop your whining. Outcomes from the gospel are increasing. We already talked about the spreading of the gospel. Outcomes are increasing. The prophet Isaiah, in chapter 11 of his book, prophesied, they shall not hurt or destroy an all my holy mountain. This is God talking. His purpose, his mountain, his throne will not hurt or destroy if people come to it in repentance. For all, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do, does water cover the sea? God's knowledge will be that thick. In the day, in that day, the root of Jesse, that's Jesus. He's the root of Jesse and the offspring of Jesse. The son of David and the father of David who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. What he did on the cross. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So that's where we're heading, towards that glorious rest, resting place. But right now, the nations are inquiring. Right now, the gospel is being spread. If you don't quite see it there, read it in other translations. Isaiah 11:9 9, and 10. We're all about seeing the ministry of Jesus continue by demonstrating the good news of his love, telling people of his love and showing them his love and what he did for us on the cross when they ask questions, why are you doing this? That's a perfect opportunity to take it to another level. We can see here that there's kind of a progression of Paul's evangelism. There's the point of reasoning in chapter four. I mean, in verse four. Acts 18.4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. And then there's a point of persuading. And then there's a point of being compelled. That's the Holy Spirit working. And so obey the Lord. Share God's love. Bring them to a place of reasoning. They're going to ask questions. Somebody told a hippie, Jesus is the answer. And he said, dude, what's the question? Last month, we had a glorious event called Light em Up. It took several weeks preparing for it. But we illuminated our community with kindness starting that day. It's still continuing with 11 different outreach projects. And we're going to hear a report from a couple of them. Uh, Julie was involved in two of them. Here's Julie Kaspick.
3: You've probably heard about the butterfly effect. It states that small causes can have larger effects. An example would be a butterfly in Costa Rica flapping its wings, and here in Granbury we get a tornado because of it. We're going to have to do something about those butterflies in Costa Rica. In the same way, a small swell on the surface of a deep ocean can become a mighty tidal wave a thousand miles away. Jesus chose 12 men, 12 ordinary men, and they changed the world for Christ. At Christmas time in 2016, we did our first light em up project at the Granberry Villa Nursing and Rehab. That was such a success in uh, touching hearts and lives there for the residents that we decided to do it again this past Christmas. We gave gifts to all 83 residents there. For some of the residents, that was the only Christmas gift they got that, this Christmas. They were so happy and appreciative. In fact, God blessed Light em Up so much that Laura asked me if I knew of another project that we could do. And the Lord laid on my heart the elderly and disabled people at Granbury Housing Authority. There are 85 people that live in Granbury housing that are elderly or disabled. God supplied enough gifts that we were able to give gifts to every single one of them. Uh, we gave gifts. We gave a large bag filled with a pair of socks, a back scratcher, a journal, notebooks, pen, candy, hand sanitizer, fleece blanket, and a word search book. Also, Karen Van Landingham brought her team of carolers to sing at both the nursing home and Granbury Housing Authority. The people at the nursing home loved it. In fact, one lady decided she was going to go up and be a part of our group and sing, and she was a lady that was 102 years old. <laughs> at the Housing Authority, one gentleman went and he went to every, every house in our block and knocked on their doors and tell people, come out, you got to hear this. People are going to sing to us. And Karen and her group was so great. Uh, she sang, they started singing to our neighbors. And our neighbor is a gentleman with his 80-some-year-old mother who has a broken neck. And when they started singing, he went to the door, and he looked out for a couple minutes, and he went back inside. And Karen and them, they just kept singing and singing and singing. They were singing to a closed door and a wall, you know. But they were faithful, and they kept singing. But what they did not see was the lady inside that she had had a broken neck, and all she could do was sit in her chair all day. Our neighbor told us that his mother was thoroughly enjoyed herself. And not only that, but that for the first time in years, she sang. She was singing with them. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in, in them. One of the reasons why we're created is to go out and do those good works for Christ. You know, giving a few gifts here and there doesn't seem like that's very much. These people, especially like at Granbury Housing Authority, who are mostly widows and disabled people that can't get out, they don't have visitors very often. A lot of them don't have anybody, any family. Anybody to give them any gifts. But we make little ripples in this sea that we call Granberry. And it just might become a tidal wave for Christ in the kingdom of God. So generations, keep up the good work.
2: Crystal's coming. She was part of another branch of Light Up that's continuing
4: hi everyone Um, all I really was uh, was a set of hands a set of feet and a willing heart in this we did chemo care bags for people that are getting chemo treatment here in Granberry we put together lemon drops and activity books journals cups you guys did a lot of it with your donations so thank you so what I'm going to tell you about is when I went to deliver the boxes and there were boxes, okay? We did about 100 of these bags. I could only fit 50 of them in my car. So I took them in, showed up at the chemo place, and I was like, hey, I've got those chemo care bags. And the nurses hadn't heard about it. Uh, the secretary knew what I was doing, delivering them. That's all I did. You all did the rest. And the nurses were like, well, what are these? And I said, well, here. And I showed them one of the bags. They opened the bags, and the nurses – practically started crying they had to hold back tears because you know they had to deal with patients but they dug into those bags like kids on Christmas telling me how each thing was going to bless the patients that come in one of the things that I just I didn't realize because I've never gone through chemo some of those people are in there for six or seven hours a day getting chemotherapy some are there for 15 minutes Most of us have cell phones and Wi-Fi and, you know, we can keep ourselves somewhat busy. Some of those people, they don't have any of those electronics, so they're just sitting there doing nothing or whatever, reading their book. So when those nurses are able to give them those chemo care bags with the handwritten card, a little bit of activity, and just a little bit of care, it not only blesses the patient, but it blessed the nurses tremendously. And that was the part that I got to see. I didn't get to see the patients, but that's okay because those nurses are able to spread that further than what, what I could have done on my own or what we could have done. So just know that not only were the patients blessed, but the nurses got to see the act that we did in the name of Jesus.
3: Good.
2: You don't have to wait for Christmas to show somebody love, and you don't have to wait for a church to come up with an event for you to not do things like this. If you have children at school, you got school teachers that could sure use some love, all the teachers said amen. Neighbors, I mean, opportunities are everywhere. Greg Madden and his wife have been coming here for a few months, and Greg was impressed a few months ago to start a Bible study near his business. He has a vending business, and where his warehouse is, there was some office space available, it was kind of a storefront, so he opened it, called it the, the teaching room. It's available for people to rent, to teach uh, things like defensive driving or Bible studies. So he teaches the Bible study on Tuesday night, and on a Tuesday, he was teaching, and his wife had her phone, and she was going to video him, right? She accidentally put him on Facebook Live. How many people were watching Okay. Anyway, some some of the people that were watching were people that Greg knew before he was saved. So by accident, he was preaching the gospel to people that he didn't know. So even, I mean, we have no excuse to not do something to show somebody some love. Pastor Shakes, last Sunday with us, will be next Sunday serving here as worship pastor. We're going to miss him. Going to be friends with him for life, I believe. And one of his tent-making things that he does, he wears many hats, he's a great cook, he's a chef, he's a mentor, he's a counselor, he knows how to encourage the downtrodden people, he knows. But one of the things he does is a professional musician, he has a band and is an entertainer. And the other night, something significant happened when he was playing at Louis Louis' piano bar singing Van Morrison's song, When Will I Ever Learn to Live in God? Pastor Shea, come on and tell us about the significant outbreak of God's love in the place. Uh,
1: Louis Louis, with a, a pastor friend who's also a professional musician. And actually, he had visited our church back in the summer. Got him Reverend Landings, Landon Sprattling, but he's a really famous guitarist, especially in the Dallas area, blues guitarist. And he said, uh, Shake, I want you to go with me to this blues jam. And I don't like blues jams, I'll be honest with you. I don't like them because usually it's the guy that got a guitar three weeks ago or a harmonica for Christmas (laughs) that I end up playing with. And he knows, you know, one solo and got seven harmonicas. So whenever the song (laughs) changes keys, he picks up another harmonica, and it's the same solo. So I don't like blues jams, typically, but I love this guy. So I went with him. I thought, okay, this will be interesting. Whether as I'm there, he's playing and he's singing. He said, I think you should sing a song. So I sung a song, and we had a really good time. We had a, you know, n- nothing significant happened, but it was a different kind of place. I've seen more people led to the Lord in a club than I've seen in a the church. The truth is, people don't go to church to get saved anymore. So if we're not out there... Taking Christ to them, taking the gospel to them, they're not going to receive it. Most people that get saved is somebody that reached them on the mission field. And the mission field is when you leave this building. Amen. You agree with that?
2: Yes, sir.
1: So my purpose in life is not to beat anybody up because they don't know the Lord, not to beat anybody up because they're not saved. Not to be, oh, you're going to hell. Or not. I don't believe in any of that. I believe in being love, period. And that means I may not ever get to speak to you about Jesus, but I'm going to be Jesus. So when I sing and when I play, I pray for an anointing. I pray for, I anoint myself with oil and I pray for an anointing. And it doesn't matter what I sing. I can sing the alphabet and I promise you it's going to be anointed because I'm not singing under shake strength. Does that make sense? So we're singing these songs and the third song in. Um, I, it's what I call a holy moment. Um, something started to change in the room. Now, obviously, we're, I have a great band, amazing musicians, extremely talented, and a lot of them have actually been here many times. And in this particular song, When Will I Ever Learn to Live in God, uh, this woman comes up to the side of the stage, and it's the way the stage is, it's a pretty big stage, and it has these wings to the left and to the right. And she comes up to the side of the stage and just, and does like this. And she she just stands there and does like that. Not in front of us. Um, So I didn't notice it. But the bass player that plays with me noticed it. And he he got my attention. And he's doing these dissonance. So I look over there and and Usually in a, you know, usually when you play a club or a bar, people have had some spirits. You know, it's not the spirit that you're necessarily promoting, but they've had some spirits. So usually you would suppose, well, she's drunk. She's had something to drink. But, but it didn't feel that way because something was different. And I know what it was. I know that the Holy Spirit was in that room. And so she's standing there. And all of a sudden, people are, we're singing this song, um, it says, When will I ever learn to live in God? When will I ever learn? He gives me everything I need and more. When will I ever learn? And so we keep singing this song, keep singing that chorus, and it—and not all of a sudden, but as we're singing this song, people are weeping, and they're just just weeping and just—it's just—it is just the most beautiful thing. It's just so holy because the Holy Spirit is going. Listen, I'm not concerned about where you are or who you're among. It's your heart that I'm after if you're willing to represent Jesus, that I'm willing to be with you. And so he was with us. As a result, as we're finishing this and all this is happening, a guy came up to me. I, I, I think he works at the club. Came up to me and just, you know, I'm standing on the side and he said, will you pray for me? And so I started praying for him. Now we're standing in the doorway because where he caught me, I was, Heading to supposed to be doing some business. So we kind of stand in this doorway. So he comes up and asks for prayer, and then somebody else gets behind him for prayer. And then and then another person is in line for prayer. So so so, so then I have to I have to literally go, okay, let's let's guys let's go over this way so people can get in and out. And there was a line of people asking for prayer. I put it I, I didn't put it up, somebody else put it up on Facebook. I just said, holy moments have nothing to do with me. And they don't. God uses whoever he wants to, whenever he wants to, however he wants to, if he wants to. And so, if you're willing to be used, then you can take yourself out of the equation. The fear, the concern about what people might think, all that stuff let that stuff die and represent Christ and just be a proponent of love that's 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 me, that's where I am now there's enough stuff going on in the world today, enough negative enough whatever and I'm not in that where I am is if you, if you run upon me, you're running into love if you ain't ready to be loved don't run into me so thank you Generations Church because yes um, next Sunday is our last Sunday but I would hope that whenever you think of, of us, that this message is still permeating with you years from now, years from now, years from now. And maybe even share it with your kids because I believe God's going to do something because the people he's after haven't come in these doors. And they may not come in these doors if we don't represent Christ to them wherever they are. Thank you.
2: It can be as simple as saying, hey, can I pray with you about anything? Or can I pray with you for that issue? Let's do that here today. Let's practice today and actually do that. Let's stand. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to form groups of two or three or four, no more than five. Otherwise, we'll run out of time. But uh, just your circle, introduce yourselves to each other and say, hey, can I pray with you about anything? So let's just do this. What can be done with with people at work, in the marketplace, or whatever, or even in the club if you're a professional musician. Can I pray with you about anything? Can we do that? Let's just do that. Look around for someone you don't know and invite them to join your circle as well.